Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. Today's topic is mental health in the workplace, and we have special guests with us, and I'd like to introduce them. First, we have Ms. Megan Dwyer. She's an LMS and an EAP specialist. She's a licensed master social worker and a graduate of NYU. Currently, she is an EAP specialist with Open Arms EAP. Her versatility, enthusiasm, and overall passion helps her in building and maintaining relationships in the community. Megan uses her skills to help individuals reach their full potential. She's especially effective with those struggling with anxiety, depression, grief, and life satisfaction. Megan uses her experience and interest to add more personal touch and connection with her clients in this field. She specializes in motivational interviewing, grief and loss, anger management, and practices from a strength-based, solution-focused perspective. As does Open Arms EAP, Megan believes it is crucial to address any situation proactively as opposed to reacting when things become unmanageable. Megan worked diligently for the fight to end the stigma around mental health care, it is okay not to be okay. Welcome, Meg. Next, we have Mr. Frank Pomada, a good friend of mine and colleague. He's a uh, MA and a mental wellness advocate and also a champion of fighting to break down the stigma surrounding mental illness. He's a speaker and a consultant who has been sharing his journey with mental illness as a vehicle to reduce stigma and encourage others to seek help and be treated with dignity when they do so. He is currently employed at the Suffolk County Department of Labor, where he assists clients to overcome barriers to re-entering the workforce. Over the past 20 five years, Frank has worked in a variety of settings in government, higher education, and nonprofit human services. Frank also has a consulting practice in nonprofit and volunteer management and has been described by colleagues as a change agent. His personal motto is ideas plus action equals change. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, Silas. Before we get started, I'd like to send a special thank you out to my uh, production assistant extraordinaire, Miss Loretta Golden, who is going to be working with me on some of my podcasts. And so she has the area of expertise in audio production. And so I'm looking forward to her being an integral part of the Kelson on the Air Social Work podcast. All right. So let's start from the topic mental health and wellness in the workplace. So each of you give just our listeners a little bit of information about what you know and what your area of expertise is with that particular topic. So for me being um, an employee assistance specialist, understanding mental health in the workplace and the correlation and the effect that it can have in being present and being productive is the primary focus of what I do. The reason employee assistance programs exist, it used to be because of substance use during the workday. So anyone that is familiar with an employee assistance program is familiar with it because of an individual who may have had a drinking problem who needed to go to rehab. Now it's more about mental health peace, the life satisfaction, and the work-life balance. So when we talk about mental health in the workplace, if we're not discussing and working to find coping mechanisms and solutions to some of our problems, when we're at work, we may physically be at work, but we're not being productive. Our work performance is down. Our life satisfaction is down primarily because we're not dealing with some sort of mental health issue. I do a lot of clinical counseling and I also do a lot of trainings on wellness and coping skills and communication styles so that there's increase in the knowledge of how we can handle some of the life stressors that can affect us in the workplace. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. And that's a perfect way to segue into our next guest, Mr. Frank Pomada. And the interesting thing about
about Mr. Pomadas, he's bringing some of his own personal experience with this topic onto the discussion. And so I'm going to ask you, Frank, to share your insight on what was just said and also your personal experience, if you would mind. Thank you, Silas. Well, I'm glad to hear that other people are working on this because um, this did arise from my own personal journey with mental illness, in my case, bipolar, and which I've had my whole life. And I just recently also discovered I have ADD, which uh, was sort of masked or overshadowed by that, but it's coming to sharp relief, ironically enough, in a new role that I was uh, doing at my workplace. For me, I've been consulting and speaking out on this for about a year and a half, two years now, and to different types of groups, community-based groups, etc. And it's come to me as well through contact with some of the folks in attendance, including a friend of mine who's a manager of a large organization, that it needs to be addressed in the workplace as well. I know it affected my career in profound ways, uh, rage quitting and other things like that. And in my research too, we've alluded to this already, this whole phenomenon of presenteeism, absenteeism, increased turnover. There are costs to businesses. So by us serving as resources, we can help businesses to uh, address this and that will help both the individual employee, but also uh, collectively it raises awareness and and helps the business too as well uh, to, to prosper because of they're addressing an employee wellness issue that goes beyond the physical issues that we typically think about. Well, thank you for that. Um, and, you know, this this topic brings to mind a lot of interesting information and research that's been done. Miss Megan Dwyer provided me with some information, and I'd like to share a little bit of that, kind of take the discussion into some more specific points. Uh, the Harvard Health Publishing Journal from the Harvard Medical School did a study. It's a while ago, but it's still relevant today. It's from February 2010. states that low treatment rates empower workers' careers and companies' productivity. It states that, according to this journal, mental health problems affect many employees, a fact that's usually overlooked because these disorders tend to be hidden at work. Researchers analyzing results from the U.S. National Comorbidity Survey, a nationally representative study of Americans ages 15 to 54, reported that 18% of those who were employed said they experienced symptoms of a mental health disorder in the previous month. So some of the key points I'd like you all to address symptoms of mental health disorders, which may be different at work than in other situations. I'd like you to kind of speak to that. Although these disorders may cause absenteeism, the biggest impact is in lost productivity. Now, Megan and Frank, I know all of you have experienced that from either side of that discussion about the downtime, the lost productivity. So can we just talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I will say that the mental health stigma is one of the hardest things to face in the workplace. The reasoning being we don't like to ask for help. So if we're unable and uncomfortable in the workplace with either a coworker, a manager, an employer to say, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, and I need help, then we're going to continue to mask those emotions, those symptoms that say, this is the mental health issue that I'm struggling with. When it comes down to presenteeism and absenteeism and productivity, I tell employers all the time as an individual who creates contracts and offers an employee assistance program to employers that you're looking for a return on investment. When you're offering clinical services to your employees and your team, you're saying not only is your work important and your performance and your production important, but so is your mental health. So is your life satisfaction. So is your weekends. Your weekends are just as important as the Monday through Friday, nine to five. And in 2019, the stress of not being nine to five 
we are always plugged in 24-7. We have our emails on our phones. We do things outside of our typical nine to five. And if we're not presenting the opportunity to discuss those mental health issues, work becomes either a distraction for our problems or we go to work and we can't do anything because we can't focus, because we're exhausted, or because we're unhappy. Frank, I'll uh, piggytail that. Just a little bit, just from my own experiences, that I basically lived in fear, uh, kind of hung out in the shadows, so to speak, did my best to hide my mentalness for fear of consequences uh, in the workplace. There were a few trusted supervisors where I felt safe disclosing to them, but few and far between. I quit a lot of jobs when things got a little too hot, and it seemed as if I might be kind of outed, if you will. Um, And so it really had some serious consequences uh, for my uh, career in terms of lost momentum in my career trajectory. Bridges burnt, unfortunately, in some cases, um, irreparably, professionally, as well as personally, coworkers, as well as uh, organizations. Finally, I had to come to the realization after a critical incident, uh, I'm a suicide survivor, that hey, I need to get some help. And, you know, I don't know what was really stopping me. I've speculated over the years, you know, male pride being part of it. But Mm. the stigma, I think, is is, is the largest thing that we have to attack so that people will feel safe asking for help. And educating managers and organizations uh, in recognizing signs of symptoms that somebody might be in emotional distress and creating an atmosphere where they could broach that topic non-threateningly so that a person might be able to then... um, access if there are services available such as an EAP program. Now, Megan, you mentioned about downtime, which, you know, there is very little of that now. Mm-hmm. How do you, and also I'll you know, put this out to you as well, Dawn, how do you as a EAP specialist uh, in the social work realm try to help people balance between work and the demands of work and, and the need to make more and more money? How do you help them to navigate that? More often than not, my clinical services when I'm working with my clients has a lot more to do with priorities and time management than it does talking about depression or anxiety. And that's one of the things of being an adult that we forget that it's innate. We're not necessarily taught how to time manage or how to manage our stress or how to recognize the triggers within our bodies when we're stressed. Mm. For me personally, when I'm overworked, really tired or really stressed, I get a little bit of like a kink in my neck Mm -hmm. and I ignore it and I ignore it and I ignore it until I I can't drive because I can't turn my neck even though I'm educated on knowing what my stress triggers are. Mm. So when it, when I think of how I'm helping people, more often than not, it's being able to put things down on paper. It's being able to say, sometimes good enough is good enough. If you have to be at work for 40 hours a week and you have 40 hours of work to do, but life is a little messy outside of that, how can you work smarter and not harder. Mm. How can you make sure that you're having dinner with your family, hanging out with your friends, and taking some personal time as needed and getting what you need to get done done? And I know, and I'm sure the two of you would agree, if you're working a 40-hour work week, that means you get an hour lunch every day. How many of us are taking an hour lunch every day? Or going away from our desk to take that lunch. Absolutely. And we're not. So little things like that, that we can interject into our work life that says, I'm important for this hour. Just a real quick aside uh, in my own personal life is I've tried to reduce some of this whole bleeding of professional time into personal time by setting up some boundaries, such as I'm trying to turn my cell phone and other things off 
um, and not look at work emails on the weekends and evenings to the extent I can. I even uh, downgraded from a smartphone to a dumb phone, uh, so to speak. Uh, I, I kid you not, and people kind of look at me very strangely, but it is a means of not being overstimulated uh, with all this stuff coming at me. Uh, you know, it's like a machine. It'll eat you up. I just want to just chime in on that is that I, I, like you, I feel as if we have a workaholic tendency in this culture as a whole and then of course then there are individuals and their own individual kind of like you say learnings around work their approach to work the work-life balance etc so i think that's yeah the unlearning piece is important but also for organizations too to you know some organizations are actually enforcing that people need to take their vacation Mm -hmm. not be afraid to take off for family medical leave act for fear of lost advancement or etc etc all of those are great points. Now, I want to hit on something else. I'd like to ask you all to kind of touch on from whatever perspective you feel, you know, will kind of move the discussion forward. Uh, some of the other information um, that I was able to cover during the research for mental illness in the workplace is that the most common workplace mental health disorders, according to the Harvard Medical uh, Journal, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and bipolar disorder. So that being said, can either of you comment on which ones you think hinders a person from actually being more productive? Well, I think you're tossing that right my way, uh, Silas. I mean, I actually was called in by two of my very caring supervisors, and I feel fortunate that they saw a drop in my performance, and they put it to me pretty bluntly after a couple of months after I changed roles recently. And I had not been, I'd mostly been a manager uh, and I'm a more creative thinker. Suddenly I'm thrust into, I'm really thick in the weeds in a job that involves a lot of paperwork, detail and this and that. And I'm making these seemingly careless errors like transposing dates and nonsense like that. And I'm beating myself up when I go home over it and, and I'm embarrassed. Well, two of the supervisors, you know, saw this pattern, brought me in, spoke to me, and one of them was insightful enough. She knew about my bipolar, and she asked me, she says, Frank, do you think that there's a medical dimension to this? Now, that was great that she had that, um, she was able to have that insight, and I told her, I said, you know something? I said, I have been contemplating, could there be some sort of an attention-related issue? I subsequently took an online test and scored an 84% positive for ADD. I then went to a professional, and the results were almost identical. So then we decided, okay, well, what's our course of action? What's our plan? Because my supervisor said to me, they said, look, we need to see results. You know, and I respect that. That's, that's understandable. So I am now on another medication for that, which seems to be helping. And I've also, I'm approaching it in a multifaceted way with some other practices, uh, uh, note cards and uh, reviewing things and being super careful and going slow, especially when it's a repetitive kind of a task, such as signing papers that all have to have the same date on them, etc. Uh, you know, so um, that's one thing. I think it's also very important, though, Silas, that managers and organizations be educated to know like what the signs and symptoms might be that somebody might be experiencing something of a mental nature, you know, and and to educate them about that. That brings a lot of information to the forefront that, you know, needs to kind of further be uh, delved into. Absolutely. We would get individuals that recognize their own decrease in ability to do their job to the fullest extent. And they'll make a phone call and say, I can't focus. I'm stressed. I'm unhappy. I'm not getting my things done. I'm taking it home with me and I'm beating myself over it. The same 
way, we have managers and employers who recognize those differences and those changes and will remind an employee, hey, you have EAP services and they're confidential and they're free to you. Let's maybe reach out to them and see what they can do for us. Similarly, there's also mandated clients where the stipulation of their employment is getting the help that they need. And that shows from the employer's side that they care, which makes us want to take care of our our stuff and get back to work. So that reminds me of of two points that I feel like I I have to dispel the myths as often as I can. As you're saying, the symptoms of depression, anxiety, bipolar, the shame and the guilt, isolation as a symptom of depression in the workplace looks like someone who won't ask for help. And we tend to avoid those conversations. We see someone that doesn't want to ask for help and we don't associate that with, are they okay? We think, okay, they're strong, they're independent, they don't like working with the team, they just want to be on their own, they want to to finish their project. On that flip side of self-care, self-care doesn't look the same for everyone. Self-care in definition can be stress-inducing for people because if someone tells you, I hope you're taking care of yourself or what are you doing for self-care, if they're not used to taking care of themselves, now they're going to have an inappropriate guilt on what self-care means to them. Self-care to me could be getting my nails done, but Silas, I'm sure self-care to you isn't getting your nails done. Sleeping in late or, and I'm, I'm an early bird. I like getting up early. So someone tells me sleep in, I'm like, like, do I need to sleep in? Now I feel guilty that I didn't sleep in. So it becomes almost like a self-reinforcing uh, <laughs> thing. I want to just speak, too, to another dynamic in the workplace uh, that I've done some reading about, actually, on LinkedIn and whatnot. The whole phenomenon of these open office spaces. Yes. That is one of the things that I have found very challenging is I have to exert energy to keep my focus and my concentration just because I have an open workspace. I have a person in the far corner of my office who likes to drop the F-bomb constantly, and that's a bit of a, a stressor to me. Like, I don't need to be hearing that in the workplace, but this person, apparently her definition of professionalism is a little bit different than mine. I have a gentleman who has his radio on, likes to listen to sports uh, during the and it's a little, I have very acute hearing, so even though he's like 10 12 feet away from me, I'm hearing that. So that is something that I've got to be exerting energy during the day. Some other things, uh, though, that, you know, we've been kind of talking around this, but I just want to kind of talk about a few specifics, like for a manager who might be listening to this or someone, a supervisor, some negative changes in work habits might be some signs and symptoms, a change in the person's physical appearance or demeanor, uh, the whole presenteeism thing we talked about, you know, so like the productivity might slip. Uh, absenteeism, tardiness. I know I was a, a famous uh, Monday morning uh, caller-inner for a long time. You know, Monday would be that tough day where I was like staying in bed and what have you. Or outbursts or mood swings. So just some things for employers to sort of like red flags perhaps that employers might want to and managers and supervisors might be on the, you know, you might be on the front line. I'm so happy that, you know, these two managers took me aside. I actually got tearful during that meeting, believe it or not. Uh, and, I, and I felt guilt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was appreciative of the fact they took me aside and said, hey, we see something. And, you know, the fact that they, t- they asked that question, which is so important. Did you uh, have you ever used um, in your, you know, challenges in the workplace, Frank, the assistance of EAP um, specialists? As a matter of fact, yes. I, even, I was a user of um, I was referred when I worked in a different job to the open arms program ironically enough um, 
and it was very helpful. Uh, that's what got me started on actually going to therapy about five years ago. A uh, person was very uh, blunt with me uh, about my not taking care of my mental illness and the self-care that I wasn't employing. And, uh, yeah, I got tearful at that point in time, too. <laughs> now, I refer to that you know, as a uh, benefit of confrontation. Yeah, I guess it was like a, she was giving me the tough love talk, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all of these points that you all, all are bringing out are you know, very, very important. And, you know, we live in this very driven society, driven to accomplish and to, and to, to do. And, and a lot of times people sit back and they, they look at the landscape around them and they go, well, I'm expected to do A, B, C, and D. And mm-hmm. if I can't do it, then there's going to be a bad reflection on me. So I got to get it done no matter what. And there's so many demands being put on individuals in the workplace. A lot of experiences that people have mentioned is that they get told what to do. When they get a new job, they get told what to do. Do this, do that, do this. But nobody ever tells them how to do it. So they, they're left to their own devices to kind of figure it out. And then what, what I heard people say is that because they don't really know what they're supposed to, if they're doing it right, when they get called in to say that it wasn't done right, they feel very frustrated because, well, nobody ever told me the right way to do it. They just told me it had to get done. They feel inadequate. Yes, they feel inadequate. So what, what changes do all of you see in the workplace that to come to address that? Because this, this society is asking more and more and more of workers every day. And it's, the funny thing is they say they're asking you to do something, and people say, no, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Mm. I blame organizations when a person fails most of the time, and I'll tell you why. As a person who's been a hiring manager, and I want to get out there and speak to like uh, SHRIM, the Professional Association for Human Resources people mm. in particular, I think we do a poor job of onboarding and you gave a classic example of that um, Silas is that I personally don't want to hire somebody as an automaton and actually tell them how to do the job per se like exactly how it needs to be done I want to give them the parameters if you will and what the goal is but I don't want to hire a robot and have it done I want that person to bring what they bring to the table and maybe find a better mousetrap because maybe they have a way of getting that job done that's going to be more efficient more creative out of the box what have you so but what I think we need to do a much better job as as individual managers and as organization is not throwing folks into the deep end of the pool and saying okay sink or swim but rather have maybe even mentoring systems put in place where an experienced employee takes that person under the wing or perhaps as a group uh, type of a, a program that would work uh, so that the person is given the proper mentoring to get oriented to the organization. You know, different organizations have different norms. So what the person might have been used to in one place, that way the expectations were, well, this place maybe emphasizes something slightly different. Uh, and then from that, you know, setting up Here's the clear expectations for success and what can we as an organization do to help you get there and so that you don't just hire a person and like I say, just I feel we do this too far. I want to set a person up to succeed, not set them up for failure. And right. I think too often it's the reverse that I see happening and I've had it happen to me as well. Right. Autonomy is one of the biggest pieces of job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So being autonomous doesn't mean here's a project, figure it out. It's here's what needs to get done. This is just the time span in which it needs to be completed. Use your creativity, use your knowledge, use your resources and, and make this as amazing as it can be. And when we're afforded the capacity 
to be awesome in our own way, that increases our job satisfaction. We say this all the time in the social work field, in the mental health profession, nine times out of 10, that might not be a statistic that's written down, we stay for our coworkers and for our environment. And if we quit, we're nine times out of 10 quitting our boss. We're quitting our boss, not our job. And that needs to be, I think, a a heavier conversation when Mm -hmm. we're talking about job satisfaction, mental Mm -hmm. health in the workplace, and the accessibility of trainings, coachings, learning and unlearning. Open Arms is different in the sense that we look at everything from the social work perspective. And most EAPs do, and I'll never take that away from other employee assistance programs. Mm -hmm. Open Arms believes that not only are you who you are in the workplace, If you call me and ask for help because you're not performing well at work, I need to address your ability to to go to work and perform, but I also need to address everything else that's going on. Holistically, yeah. Holistically, and one of the beautiful things about Open Arms EAP and coming out of a nonprofit like the Long Island Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence is we serve families as well. And that's one piece that we always forget when you go to work and... For me, for instance, I'm Megan Dwyer, LMSW EAP specialist at Open Arms EAP. I am the oldest of three siblings. I come from an Italian and an Irish family. We forget that there's so much more to who we are as people, and Open Arms gets to address that when we work with people. Who do you come from? Where do you live? What do you do for fun? What is your activity to let your hair down? Oh, you're having an issue with your cousin? Your cousin needs to come. Bring your cousin in. Tell your cousin to call me. I'm never just focused on one problem or one person, but where are the struggles and how can I help you find your own skills to create the solutions, no matter what that looks like. I like the holisticness of that approach, number one, and not treating the person in the background. Also, too, I think we have a tendency in our culture, if you will, to treat symptoms as opposed to root causes. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your approach, let's look at the root as opposed to the symptoms. The Mm -hmm. symptoms are arising from some dynamic or some something. Right. I actually participated in a Sober October just as an individual that works with colleagues in recovery. I have clients in recovery and I've asked clients, okay, you're going to go for 28 days of treatment and you're going to give up the vice that you've been using for 30 years. And then when you leave treatment in 28 days, you're going to go back to life and not go back to your substance. And I had to recognize through my own quote unquote this Sober October that we're asking people to abstain from their survival modes and not talking about the root or the stem and what does trauma-informed care look like? What does culturally competent care look like? And it doesn't happen overnight. It, it happens over time. You know, getting well and being effective is a journey for each and every person. And as individuals that live on Long Island, we know how important the workforce is. And we just have to continue to devote time, energy, grants toward the workforce, toward managers and employers and their families. Very well said. Very well said. We're going to be wrapping up in just a few minutes. I'm going to ask you all for some final words go in order and I'll call you out and then I'm going to you know ask you to please make sure you let our listeners know where they can reach you if they need uh, any types of uh, uh, 
you know, assistance that you you can refer them to or referrals or how they can get in touch with you if they need further help and assistance. And it was really a great discussion and a conversation, which is, I think, the most important thing is talking about the issues to break down the stigma of mental illness. And, uh, you know, I commend all of you for what you are doing um, individually and collectively to move the discussion forward. We're going to start with you, Frank, a few final words. And if, if there's any information about people contacting you or where they can sure. find your information. Well, first off, thank you for having this uh, show, Silas, and, and, and highlighting this issue. Uh, I think it's really important for us to talk about ways bosses can reduce that stigma of mental health at work. And a couple of things I've written down are being mindful of language, you know. Sometimes we throw terms around without thinking of the impact they might have on people uh, in the workplace, uh, maybe even in a jocular way, joking around. Rethinking sick days, you know, allow for mental health days, you know. Uh, Encourage open, honest communication. Make sure that folks know you have an open door policy and whatever it might be. Be proactive, uh, such as offering an EAP or wellness program. And also training staff managers to notice and respond to signs and symptoms that might be out there. Some of these red flags that I mentioned before. Uh, There are such things as mental health first aid. And uh, a number of organizations here on the island are training folks in such things. So we're coming along and we're further along than we were, but we've got a ways to go. Uh, As far as contact contacting me. I'm perfectly open to having folks talk to me if they want to. I am speaking from lived experience as opposed to being somebody with a whole bunch of letters behind my name, uh, which you know sometimes comes up in my talks. If somebody wanted to email me, they could email me at frank.pomata, P-O-M-A-T-A, at gmail.com. I'd ask that you put uh, mental health or something along those lines at the subject line. Uh, or you can call me on my cell phone at 631-707-2900. Zero two. Thank you, Silas. Thank you. Megan? And again, I'm also going to thank you. When, when Silas and I first began kind of going back and forth with the topic, I realized how lucky I was and how grateful I was to be afforded the ability to have this discussion on a larger platform than, than I already do in, in my own work, in my own fight to end the stigma on mental health. Um, also kind of coming from lived experience, I always say that I wouldn't be where I am without my life experiences. And things weren't always peachy keen, but with help, I got to the point that I'm at now. My big thing as a social worker, not just my job title within my agency, is to take care of ourselves and to take care of each other. As human beings, we need connections. As human beings, we need the basic human needs and we need to feel cared for and we need to feel loved and we can when we can express that to our friends and our families and our coworkers with those boundaries and those appropriate ways we live a more fulfilling and a happier life so that's always my takeaway take care of yourselves and take care of each other the long island council on alcoholism and drug dependence has a 24-hour hotline that i always make sure that i mention no matter where i go that number is 631 631- Nine seven nine one seven zero zero. And again, thank you, Silas. Okay. And Dawn, you get to wrap before I close out. <laughs> okay. And then uh, just before we wrap up, Frank, you got a couple of numbers you want to share with our listeners about some resources? I did. Thank you very much. Um Silas. Yes, I, I thought it would be pertinent. Uh, here on Long Island, we've got a response uh, hotline, uh, 516 
But if anybody else is listening, maybe from outside our area or even from inside our area, there's a national suicide hotline, and that number is 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, I believe they're also uh, starting to do a text uh, service uh, as well, uh, but I don't have that information handy. Okay. Thank you. And, and, and also, as in, in closing out, you know, obviously I'm a you know, very devoted member of the uh, National Association of Social Workers, and you can reach them for resources at naswnys.org. Also a, a member of the Association for Mental Health and Wellness, and that's mhaw.org. Those are some other resources. I'd like to thank um, all of our guests, Megan, Frank. Thank you so much. And just in closing, just like to remember, remind everyone that when we talk about the uh, stigma, let's be careful about the language. And if we think about it, mental illness, the word ill starts with I. So when it's mental illness, you're dealing with it by yourself. You need to talk to somebody so that you can become mentally well, mental wellness first two letters in mental wellness, W-E, which is we, and when you want to be healthy, you first have to heal. That's mm. the first four letters in the word health. So on that note, I'm going to close it out. Thank you all, and stay tuned. We'll be having more information from these wonderful guests. Thank you, and you've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast with Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Take care.